Just a comment on the Athanasian Creed uh, before we get started. Um, we make clear in the Creed that whoever does not hold this faith will and without doubt perish eternally, this Trinitarian faith. And it begs the question, well, I thought just to believe in Jesus was enough. And it's true, it is enough. But what does Jesus teach? What does he reveal? The coming of the Son reveals God as Father. We're now dealing with two distinct persons who are nevertheless one, and they both testify to the pouring out of the Spirit, the third person. And so to believe in the Son is to believe in what he teaches, what he reveals. And that is the Trinitarian nature of God in all of its fullness. So you can't separate belief in Jesus. If you're paying attention to his words, you can't separate that from belief in the Trinity. And while we're commenting on the Trinity, let me, let me say this. I made the point before, but it, it's worth repeating that you see glimpses of this reality of God in the Old Testament where God sometimes speaks of himself in the plural using plural pronouns. Let us make man in our image. That happens. God speaks of himself that way. And, and we're, we're confronted with that. What are we going to say? What are we going to believe? God is one. And yet he suggests that he's more. We see the person in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord, this mysterious figure, shows up in Genesis 22, withholding Abraham's hand from slaying his son. But this angel of the Lord, a, a distinct person, also speaks of himself as Lord. We see that in the book of Exodus. He goes before the children of Israel and he's called the Lord. What do we do with this? This is a mystery, and yet it is God. And we're compelled by the scriptures to this position, to this confession of faith. The scriptures, we believe in the Trinitarian nature of God because the scriptures teach this. It is interesting to contemplate the Lord. There's no bigger subject on earth or in heaven than his identity and who he is. How can three persons be one entity, one being? You know, we could say the same about nature and its mysteries. Light, is it a wave? Or is it a particle? Well, the answer is yes. It's both. Now, a wave is not a particle. A particle is not a wave. And yet, if you do an experiment to ask a wave question of light, you'll get a wave answer. And on the other hand, if you do an experiment and you ask a particle question of light, you'll get a particle answer. Both are true, and yet light is light. 
that's the puzzling nature of reality. Sometimes it's beyond our ability to understand, but not beyond our ability to worship and adore. We bow our heads and pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So in Genesis chapter 2, we read that God brought the various animals to Adam, and Adam gave all of the animals names. He classified them. And this is the earliest example we have of that science that we call taxonomy. Taxonomy is the classification of all living things. We, we organize things, we pigeonhole things by giving them names. In our gospel lesson for this morning, people are trying to classify Jesus. They're trying to figure out where to put him in the order of things. They're trying to figure out who he is or what he is. They know he's one of us, but he's also different from us. In verse 48 of our gospel reading on page 10 of the bulletin, they charge, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and that you have a demon? In verse 53, they ask, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Whom do you make yourself out to be? They're implying that Jesus is exalting himself at the expense of others. And that's ironic because Jesus came to do the exact opposite of exalting himself. He came to humble himself and become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He made himself nothing in the sight of all people so that he might suffer and die for the sins of all. And notice how he humbles himself in the gospel reading for today. Verse 49, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father. I don't honor myself, I honor my father. And then verse 50, yet I do not seek my own glory. And verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me. You see, Jesus did not come to elevate himself. He came to humble himself because only one such individual can die for the sins of the world, one who is truly humble and places himself beneath us all. So Roman numeral one in your sermon outline, page 11. Jesus seeks to honor or glorify his Father, not himself. Not himself. And that begs the question, Roman numeral two, why does Jesus not seek his own glory? Why does he not do it? It certainly was a temptation. It certainly is a temptation for all of us, is it not? one that we may yield to on occasion? Why does Jesus not seek his own glory? Well, to seek your own glory 
is to seek to be highly esteemed among men. And Jesus himself said, I'm quoting here in letter A, Luke 16, 15, Jesus said, what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination. It's abhorrent. It's disgusting in the sight of God. I remember when uh, Muhammad Ali burst on the scene back in the early 60s and uh, he would trash talk. I mean, he was, he really, I think, got the trash talking ball rolling. <laughs> and the things he said about himself turned people off. Later, people kind of smirked and laughed about it and admired him for his boldness. But it's the exact opposite of Christ. It's self-exaltation. I think of children on a playground saying, I'm first, I win, no, I win, no, I, I'm better. It's disgusting. But are we adults any better? I mean, the children simply give voice to what we're thinking all the time, <laughs> that we're better. Well, we certainly deserve to be first if we're not. That's who we are. Uh, I don't think we ever outgrow that. So Jesus does not seek his, his own glory because it's an abomination to God. Let her be also because there is one who seeks it for him. Verse 50, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. He is the judge, speaking of the Father. That is to say, the Father can do a better job of glorifying Jesus than Jesus can do for himself. Genuine glory is always God-given. It is never self-given. God exalts the humble. He lifts up the lowly, not the proud. And then let her see, and, and this is important, why does Jesus not seek his own glory? Because when he does not seek his own glory, it makes him believable. It makes him credible. It creates faith and confidence in our hearts regarding him and following him. Jesus said in verse 54, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. We don't take seriously people who elevate themselves because when you elevate yourself, you do it at the expense of those around you. Who wants that? Who admires that or should admire that? Jesus said in John 7, verse 18, the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. He's believable, and in him there is no falsehood. That's what a spirit of humility does for one. It creates confidence. Confidence in the truthfulness of the one who refuses to exalt himself. Christ will not exalt himself. God the Father will do that not for Christ's sake, but for our sake. 
When we exalt ourselves, we do it at the expense of others. When God exalts his son at the cross, it's at his own expense. That creates confidence in God. His interest is not himself, but you and me. Roman numeral three, the glory of Jesus is the cross. It is the cross. In John 12, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. Speaking of, now is the time, now the hour has come for the Son of Man to be lifted up. Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Letter A, the cross communicates man's rejection of Jesus. That's really what the cross symbolizes. It's our rejection of God coming to us in the flesh. We crucify him. It communicates man's rejection of Jesus and therefore of God. To reject Jesus is to reject the one who sent him. To believe in Jesus is to believe in the one who sent him. And letter B, the cross communicates God's love for and approval of mankind. God's love for and approval of mankind. The cross, at one and the same time, the cross reveals our rejection of God and God's acceptance of us. In the very act of our rejecting him, he demonstrates his acceptance of us. It's amazing. That is love. That is a love worth living for. It is a love worth spending the rest of your life seeking and receiving and celebrating. So Roman numeral four. Why will you not seek your own glory? As a result, as a result of the gospel, why will you not seek your own glory? Well, I don't list these points, but I'll just give them to you. First of all, when you believe in his love for you, why would you want to seek your own glory? Why would you want, understanding the depth of his love revealed at the cross, why would you want to do something in his face so disgusting? as elevating yourself at the expense of others. It's disgusting to us when we see others do that at our expense. So why would we want to do that to the God who loves us so sacrificially? The answer, we will not want to do that. I'll admit, in a moment of weakness, we might do such a thing, but we will quickly repent of it, and we will never do it premeditatively. We won't. Secondly, there's no need for us to exalt ourselves because God himself will do that for us. St. Paul writes in Romans 8, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, expect that, so that we may be glorified with him. And then Peter writes in 1 Peter, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. Genuine glory is always God-given. It's never self-given. 
Thirdly, and finally, you will not seek to exalt yourself because you understand it destroys your credibility. It undermines your authenticity as a child of God. Christ was believable, he was credible, because he was humble, not prideful. He gained followers because he did not serve himself, he served us. Now, you and I are the presence of Christ in the world today. We are his body, his members. We represent him now to the world. And we represent him not by being perfect. None of us are. We are sinners, and we acknowledge that every Lord's Day, or we should acknowledge it every day. No, we're far from perfect. But we represent Christ in the world today by being repentant, by being repentant. That is our humility. Christ humbled himself by going to the cross for our sins. Now we humble ourselves by looking to the cross and confessing our sins. That's our witness to the world. That's our dependence upon Christ. We humble ourselves in this way. Christ humbled himself by accomplishing our salvation. We humble ourselves by receiving the salvation every Lord's Day and by living throughout the week depending upon that salvation. We follow Christ because we know he's not in this for himself. If Jesus were to exalt himself, it would be at our expense and we would lose confidence in him and his leadership. But he humbles himself under the cross for our sake, at his own expense. And that willingness to deny himself is what inspires our confidence in him. He's not about himself. He's about you and me. And that same spirit of humility lives in you as a child of God. It is what makes you believable and trustworthy to others. That spirit of humility, which considers others before oneself, is what inspires all of us to place our confidence in Christ for our salvation, and it is what will inspire others to place their confidence in you as a child of God. That reluctance to exalt ourselves, that spirit of humility, is an important part of Christ's legacy to us. And that spirit of humility, that reluctance to exalt ourselves in the presence of others, is an important part of our witness to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.